Hey, it's me. How are you? You're tuned in to episode number 10 of the Paul Leslie Hour. I'm glad you're here. I've been waiting for you to show up. Of the interviews that I have done in 2017, I hope this doesn't get me in trouble. This is my favorite. The guest is Barbara Gaines, a television producer. She was a producer on The Late Show with David Letterman. The precursor to that, Late Night with David Letterman that was on NBC, and even before that, when it was a morning show, what they called the morning show that Dave had. It's absolutely correct to say that she worked with David Letterman the entire length of his television career. That's really something. And there's something about her that's very magnetic. She's humble. She's the kind of person that I would like to hang out with. She has a lot of insight. And as her friend Bill Sheft said, she doesn't realize how interesting she is. This is an incredible account of one woman's story in television. It gives you an insight into the bigger picture, the story of Letterman. I'm going to let you hear it for yourself. You're listening to the Paul Leslie Hour, and here we help people tell their stories. We're joined by a very special guest, Barbara Gaines. Thank you so much for making the time to talk with us. Thank you. So, I think most stories are best from the beginning. Where are you from? I'm from Hewlett, Long Island, on the border of Hewlett and Limburg. That's the south shore of Long Island. In the great state of New York. In the great state of New York, yes. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about your parents. What was life like? What was the, what was the atmosphere around the house? My father was a dry cleaner, and he worked, at first he worked six days a week, except seven when the boiler broke down. He he left at five o'clock in the morning to go into the city to the store, came home late at night, the first few years of my life, and then later he came home in the late afternoon. My mother got her master's the day I was born, and... She wanted to be a social worker, but then ended up being a substitute teacher and basically a stay-at-home mom. I had an older brother who was eight and a half years older than I was. So just a regular sort of middle-class life. Was there ever any indication that you wanted to get into anything having to do with television or entertainment, the stage, whatever? Well, my mother's cousin was Buddy Granoff, Buddy Granoff was in partnership with, with Chuck Barris, and his wife, Buddy's wife, was Kitty Callan, who, who was a 50s singer, Kiss Me Once and Kiss Me Twice and Kiss Me Once Again. That was her. And I think my mother always said, you know, we're a showbiz family. I said, we're not a showbiz family. Dad is a dry cleaner, and you're a stay-at-home mom. But I think she felt somehow because of her cousin Buddy that show business was in our blood. I always liked working you know, backstage, you know, painting sets, and, and um, being the person who was behind the scenes. I liked that my entire life. But there was, no, like, there was no reason that I would pick television, really. Not from my dry cleaning background. <laughs> I was just listening today to the dry cleaner from Des Moines, the Joni Mitchell song. So <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> you know, you might not believe this, but last night I was thinking to myself, I wonder if I could get her to sing at any point during the broadcast. <laughs> We're not even five minutes in. 
didn't mean to sing, but it's my cousin Kitty. Well, I'm glad you did. <laughs> I think I remember reading this. Uh, correct me if I'm I'm off, but there was a a summer camp that had a a, a pretty big influence on you. Oh wow! Yes. I went to this, so funny you should bring up camp. Anyone who knows me would be like, no, don't mention camp. I loved camp like no one's business. I went for 10 summers from when I was 8 to 16. Is that 10? 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. That's 9. <laughs> so, yeah. so 9 summers, 8 to, to 16, and I I adored it. That's when I was very shy in school and not not a particularly gifted student, but in camp... Even though I wasn't athletic, so I wasn't that great at camp either. I was much more outgoing, and I loved the I loved the theater idea of camp the the singing and the color war and the newspaper and the it all felt very much magical to me, and I loved it. I think that was probably the biggest influence of wanting to do something in film or TV was camp really ah interesting. When I think of the jobs that I've had through the years, and I've had a lot of them, there is no job that I think that I did that I liked more or that I felt was more important than when I was a camp counselor. <laughs> really? Sure. Yeah. And I was a much better camper than I was as a... I was only a junior counselor, but I was definitely a better camper than I was as a counselor. <laughs> I, I never... Until I had my own child, and I had my own child very—I was already forty-nine. I was not that great with kids, and I—and if we ask him, he might not—he might say I'm not great with them now either. <laughs> oh come on! <laughs> <laughs> so when did the whole thing start with with you and television? I went to Ithaca College in 1975, and I majored in educational communications. I majored in educational communications because I thought I wouldn't be good enough for film or television. So I thought, oh, educational communications, that will be a little easier. But it's not really what I wanted to do. So when I graduated in in 79, I got a job. Oh, what was my first job? Suddenly, wait, wait, what was my first job? I got a job working at where? Oh, I worked. I, I, oh, I know. My cousin, my cousin Buddy, got me a job working at um, out in California. It's Three's a crowd. Oh, wow! I can't believe that I had a blank for a second. Three's a crowd. Who? It was for Chuck Barris production. Three's a crowd. Who knows the man better, his wife or his secretary? So in 1979, that couldn't have been a more not that it wouldn't be a sexist show now, but in 1979, my job was to get trios on that show, and I would cold call people, and people would say. I'm not going on that show, that sexist show, who knows the the man better, his wife or his secretary, click. So after three weeks, I got fired because I couldn't get trios on the show. That was my first job. That's not what you asked, was it? No, no, it was actually. So that was the found, the introduction to the world of TV. Yes, it was. <laughs> so what did you think of California? California, as much as I had that dream of, Oh, it'll be Hollywood, and and uh, I'll meet Dick Van Dyke and Carol Burnett. It was not, of course, like that, and it was not really for me. Uh, certainly, it wasn't for me when I was 22. So I came back home, and I took Catherine Gibbs' eight-week typing secretarial class. I don't know if they still have that, but it was it was an eight-week typing class for college graduates. So I learned to type, and once I had a typing under my belt. I was doing 
temp work, my father, because I'm always needing help, a cousin, a father, he had heard that the David Letterman show was looking for a receptionist typist. I don't know how, you know, a dry cleaner. His eye, his ears were everywhere. I went for an interview, and they said, let me hear how you type. Here. So I typed. They said, yeah, that sounds fast. Can you start now? I said, well, I have to go and tell the t- agency that I'm going to not be there anymore. I could start tomorrow. And that was the David Letterman Show morning show. I started typing the teleprompter, and maybe a week later, they, Dave said, I don't want to use teleprompter. I want to use cue cards. I thought, well, that was it for me. But then they kept me on as a production assistant. And I worked on Dave's morning show, 1980, I, the whole um, 18 weeks that, that the run of the show. And I just want to emphasize again, when you're saying the David Letterman show, that was the actual title. She's talking about the, the morning show, the precursor to late night. Exactly. Right. That was the name of the show, the David Letterman show. I mean, I always call it the morning show, but it was called the David Letterman show. And that was June... 25th, I think, 1980 to October 24th. I'm making up these dates, 1980? Something like that. That sounds about right. For anyone out there who's listening, there are a couple of remnants of that show, the David Letterman show, that they can watch on YouTube. It was a different flavor from what maybe they would be used to, but there was still that, still the kind of feel and allure of of Letterman. I was hoping you could describe exactly what the morning show was like. Well, it was, first of all, I was so excited to be on a show. So for me, and I was a kid, I think I was 23, Dave was 33. It couldn't have been more exciting. You know, the band, Frank Owens was the musical director, and the band would play the stage manager, 54321. It was like, oh my God, I'm a TV. So that part was enormously exciting. It was 90 minutes live when we first went on, so I didn't realize then how crazy that was because it was my first job. We had a news break in the middle of it because it was 10 o'clock in the morning, so Edward Newman would do the news, and at first he was sitting right next to Dave live, so we would break to Edwin for the news, and the audience would laugh because they would figure it's just another bit. So eventually we had to, we had to move him out of the studio because people weren't taking the news seriously. It had a um, a cast of characters, you know, very different than what we ended up being with Edie McClurg and Paul Raley and Rich Hall, uh, other people. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, I mean, I thought it was great. Uh, Valerie Rumfield, uh, they all come to me. And we did all kinds of, you know, crazy things. We did a, you know, a show with a, a small town news. We did pet tricks, all from the morning show. A guy came in, and we all had T-shirts saying Floyd, Floyd Styles Day. We had a someone's anniversary in the studio, and we had sparklers. And then we dropped confetti. Confetti and sparklers equals fire in the studio. And as Dave was saying, well, that's our show. He was stamping out fire on the ground, and Hal was the the director, and he was just getting shots of Dave's foot stamping out the fire as he was saying, you know, goodbye. It was the definitely the precursor to what we became, you know, at NBC. And the first time you met Mr. David Letterman, what was your first impression? 
Well, he sort of wandered in during my little typing test. And, you know, it was a tall guy with a college T-shirt on. And I just thought, oh, here's this, you know, frat boy kind of, you know, cute guy. You know, I, I, I hadn't actually watched Johnny Carson, so I didn't really, you know, know how amazing and hilarious he was. So I, I wasn't really sure what he was yet. As soon as I got to know him, you right away, you know that he's the smartest person I'd ever met and the funniest person I'd ever met. I mean, that became clear immediately and became more of both as the years went on. Why do you think that is, that he became more of both as the years went on? Well, I think, you know, as we both grew up, I unfortunately did not get funnier and smarter, but he he grew into himself, and he, and I was thinking about this the other day, that I thought he ended up, by the end of his 33 years in late night, I thought he became one of the best interviewers ever. You know, he probably didn't start that way. I mean, I know he didn't start that way, but he really became quite a fantastic interviewer. He was always a great, I thought, always a great comedian, but he really, you know, he was so smart and quick, he just really got good at it. I'm glad you said that. People have asked me sometimes, who do I think the best interviewers are? And I mentioned Terry Gross. I mentioned a couple people, and I always include David Letterman. And Alan Coulter was on this show, and he said, it's because Dave is such an incredible listener. Right. That was your experience as well? Yes, absolutely. And actually, an incredible listener always. I mean, he's someone who could say to me, you know, how's your... Uh your wife's mother-in-law's, uh, you know, headache doing. And I'd be like, what? You know, what she had, what you told me last month. I'd be like, I don't remember at all. And he remembers everything you say. <laughs> oh, I, I, a perfect example of that is I was going, you know, he asked me, someone in the elevator, and I, he was in the elevator, said something to me like, have you ever been to Idaho? And I said, no. And he said, yes, you have. <laughs> you were there on a vacation four years ago. I said, oh, wait, yes, I have. So, like that. Tell us about the circumstances that led to the morning show ending. Well, the morning show ending, it was one of, you know, we were losing affiliates, and I think it was that kind of thing that the, you know, security guard knew we were canceled before we were kind of thing. I mean, I was only a PA, so I, I certainly wasn't one of the first to know, but... Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure how it was handled on Dave's end. I mean, I know we, you know, we were canceled, and they gave Dave a holding deal, and we all just hoped to come back one day. I don't know that we really thought we would. I mean, I'm sure Dave thought he would. I don't know if the little people like me, I thought, well, oh, well, that happened. And then a year later, late night, I went off, and, and, and I worked on um, a game show, a parade, and a sitcom. And Dave did other things as well. Was this a special time, the David Letterman show? Was it something that when it ended, was there a longing for it? Or was it just, well, that was a job? Oh, no, gosh, such a longing for it. It was such a fantastic time. And, and, it, and he won an Emmy for it, a daytime Emmy. And those people, the people who worked on the morning show, we still, they still talk about it, the people who worked on the morning show from 35 years ago. I mean, it was still meaningful to them. 
Wow. When we had a reunion when, when um, Late Show ended, and we invited everyone from Morning Show, Late Night, Late Show, and the Morning Show people were still like, hey, you, you remember that? And they, they still had all these memories from that long ago. The people who work on Dave's shows were very tight and familiar and felt very, I don't know, Dave really brought people together. I remember Bill Sheft telling us that when people were being interviewed or when, when there was a reunion of people who had been with Letterman, as long as he had been on the show, he said, I didn't even come close <laughs> to, 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 you know, like, for example, yourself. You were there, I mean, pretty much the entire time, correct? Yeah, the entire time. Yeah. The beginning of the show that most people know about, I mean, when I started listening to or watching Letterman was Late Night with David Letterman on NBC. Tell us about when you came to the morning show was over and you started working there. What was the feeling? What was the vibe? On Late Night? Yeah, Late Night with David Letterman. Well, you know, we were very excited. The ones who had been on the morning show, which Jude Brennan and Gerard Mulligan, Brian McAloon, uh, Biff... You know, we were all excited to be back together, those people, and we were excited. We were back in the same studio in 6A, and, you know, we were excited to, to you know, be back again. Let's do it again. And how? So there were some of, of that, the people who had already been together. And um, because we were canceled after 18 weeks, there was that, that feeling of we didn't know how long this would last. You know, it, <laughs> we certainly had no idea that it was going to last 33 years or, you know, 12 years at NBC, you definitely got a sense, I, at least I think I did after that first show, that it was already tighter and better and that we'd learned from, from our test show, which was the morning, that we'd already, you know, we'd already gotten a, a, a trial. I have no idea if I'm answering your question. You are. You are. <laughs> what was the feeling of working at that time in television? For you, was there a competitiveness to it? Was it relaxing? Describe a little bit about what it was like. For me, well, I, I wouldn't say, I mean, I know, I'm sure Dave always had a competitiveness, although, you know, we didn't have the, the shows to go up against like we did later. It was, you know, Johnny and then us. And I would never say it was ever relaxing because when you work in TV, something about it is you feel people say at least it's not brain surgery for something you're putting on a show you always feel like it's brain surgery i don't know why that is because of course it's quote unquote only tv but it feels very important i don't know why but it does you feel like i'm putting on a show damn it and that's how it feels you know the next day you could be like oh well that was just a show but not the night before the night before it was everything would you say that the experience was kind of a chaotic energy? Uh, sure. Definitely a chaotic energy. I'd say that's exactly what it was. <laughs> there had to have been times when somebody was coming on the show that you thought to yourself, wow, this guy or this woman or this band, whatever, they're coming on the show? Holy cow. Tell us about some of those. Well, I sort of, from early on, made it a point that I would be interested in Dave and Dave only. Much to my mother's chagrin, she'd be like, who did you meet and who can I tell my friends about and who did you touch and who did you talk to? And I'd be like, only Dave. So I tried to not pay attention to, to any of the other people deliberately. 
every once in a while, there'd be someone who I, I just couldn't help myself. And I also, I was still pretty shy. I didn't really come out of my shyness until I was 40. And on the, the NBC show, uh, yeah, I was morning or NBC, the NBC show, Rita Mae Brown. I mean, it's ridiculous to mention Rita Mae Brown, but Rita Mae Brown was an author. I had read all her books, and I really was excited she was on. But I made someone else bring my books to her to sign. Carol Burnett, who I really felt was a tremendous influence on me wanting to be in TV, I like sent a note from someone to bring to her. There was always great get like Nathan Lane, who wasn't on until the late night show. I had worked on his sitcom, so I wanted to see him. I mean, there were people I, I you know, Barbara Streisand did a, a walk on, but it, I never felt like I should bother the talent. And, you know, later when my son was born, I thought, should I have talked to certain people just for him? Should I have been getting autographs all along? You know, I, Mickey Maple had been on. I mean, the whole world was on. So I felt bad later, only for him. But I never really did it for myself. Would you say that you're a person that's not phased by celebrity? No, I've sort of made myself not phased by celebrity. I mean, I think it would be lying to say I wasn't phased, but I think I, I made myself that way. Only because I, I don't think I could have worked there and been starstruck, certainly. That would have been crazy, because <laughs> every star in the world came by. Yeah. When somebody was coming on the show, I mean, just anybody, uh, well, let me put it this way. When celebrities would come on the Letterman show, either the NBC or the CBS, what would you say the general mood? What do you think most people, what was most people's attitude when they arrived? I think on the whole, unless it was Barack Obama or, or Paul McCartney, it was, we tried to be courteous that people were coming into our home. That is my feeling about it. If it was someone who was a tremendous star, like Paul McCartney or Barack Obama, I think there was a definite electricity in the room because someone, you know, very big was coming and they couldn't help but have the electricity of them coming. I, I was going to say Barack Obama, I he had been on a few times before he was president, when he was president, and because, like I said, I, I made it a point not to talk to or meet anyone, I it was the last time he was on in May 2015, and I never met him, and I thought, this is my president, the one president I really cared about, and I'm never going to meet him again, certainly. I have to, I just can't let the show go off the air without meeting him. This is, I have to do it. So I asked to to be on the welcoming committee, which was not very convenient for me, because usually at that time when, when guests came, I was up with Dave in the makeup room, and they said that Jude and I could do it, and we were both in the makeup room, so it was awkward for us to leave, but we snuck away and went downstairs, and they said, you know, you say, thanks for coming, Mr. President, they, you know, there's the green room, would you like any water, and then leave him be, and we said, we're grown women, uh, you know, we're in our late 50s, early 60s, we know how to act with other people. <laughs> So the president walks in, and one person shakes his hand, thanks for coming, Mr. President. Another person shakes his hand, thanks for coming, Mr. President. He looks at you tonight, and we go, oh, my God, it's you! <laughs> he said, yeah, it's me. Then we, like, hugged him and, you know, slobbered all over him, and then we left. And we looked at each other and said, yeah, we're grown women. We handled that perfectly. <laughs> that was our one meet. So no wonder why they they didn't want us meeting people. <laughs> But you're saying, though, in general, the point for you all when a guest was coming was to 
treat them like a guest. Yes, absolutely. One of the things that I always liked about the Letterman Show, and in fact, I would say it was one of my favorite things and one of the things that attracted me when I was just young was that the Letterman Show would invite people who were not famous. I always liked that. It was, you know, or people who were semi-famous like Harvey Picard, people like that. Well, those are Dave's favorite. I mean, Dave loved the regular person. You know, somebody, he always said, you know, let's have people on who've done something. You know, not just made a movie, people, interesting people. And, you know, it's hard to find, especially later on when it became, you know, the Internet was much harder. But it was hard to find your, your regular average person who's done something, maybe not average. You know, more Harveys who are quirky people. But that was definitely Dave's favorite. He loved that. He loved the the interesting, the potato chip lady or the, you know, the bug guy or, you know, human interest. Why do you think that that, what do you think it was about those people that attracted him? I mean, I think he felt they were, they were natural and real. Not that celebrities aren't natural and real, but they're on to plug something. Even if these other people have, you know, a comic book or, or a potato chip, it's, they're, you know, they're, they're different. They're civilians. It's different. Right. And Dave, Dave was interested in people, still interested in people, you know, likes to talk to humans, I guess. Not that celebrities aren't humans, but, you know, it's a different, it's a different deal. Yeah, I know what you're saying. You think he found a kinship. Sometimes I felt like he had a kinship with people who were not celebrities. Right. I mean, especially in the early days before he was as big as he got. But he, but he always felt like that till the end. You know, he's the guy from Indiana, likes to talk to other just, you know, guys yeah. and women. Some of the interviews that I saw on The Late Show, I would feel sometimes like Dave was – he had this, you know, I'm sure you know better than I do, the, the smirk that he would have sometimes. Uh, for example, when he would interview someone like Paris Hilton, sometimes it would uh -huh. remind me of an older brother tormenting his younger sister. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, Paris Hilton, it's sort of, you know, the, um, you know, I don't want to talk about jail. That's all I want to talk about. It kind of felt like, but isn't that how everyone's feeling? I, I always felt that you know, when you just come out of jail, of course, that's all we all want to talk about. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you know, when someone, it's that thing that we always said, Neil Armstrong's coming on. He doesn't want to talk about landing on the moon. You know, <laughs> That was our, you know, our thing we said all the time. If you're going to have something happen to you and you don't want to talk about it, that's why well, come on a show. So, yes, I mean, I fault Dave nothing for that. That makes complete sense. Throughout the years of you working in television, what did you think about the relationship of the people that are not the celebrities, not the guests, but the people who are surrounded by them, the publicists, the managers how did the show treat those people how did they look at those people the publicist was something that came slowly into being as we were on the air i mean the people always had publicists but the power of the publicists grew and grew and grew as the years came on the role of the agent and manager went into the background and the the role of the publicist came in the forefront and the the power of the have my you know B guest on and then you can get my A guest on and if you don't have this guest on you can't have that guest on all of that 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 came into being 
that I always found a little yucky. Like, really? I mean, I remember talking to one publicist, and I can't remember what she wanted from, from me, but I do remember saying to me, you're not being very honorable. And I thought, honorable? First of all, I consider myself an honorable person. And second of all, we're talking about television. Uh, the whole thing seemed to be getting out of hand. I wasn't a fan of the publicist, really. A lot of them do a lot of screaming to try to get their way. And, I don't know. It, 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 um, it seemed a little more intense than it has to be. Did you all ever play the politics of that, like the, you know, you have this guest and we'll give you this guest, or did you all not play that game? I think we tried to not play that game as much as possible. I mean, there were times when, you know, you can't fit someone, or if if you are, if you have a weak book and all of a sudden the President of the United States wants to be on, what are you going to do? Yeah. I understand someone would be like, but you booked this person. But yes, but the president. You know, some things you can't help it. On the whole, I think we tried to not play the game. The people that you worked with on The Late Show, what would you say that those people taught you? The people I worked with are some of the smartest, funniest, greatest people. Uh, I can't tell you how wonderful. I mean, Bill Sheft, Jude Brennan... Nancy Agostini, Randy Grosak, I mean, go on and on. The people are just delicious, delicious people. Nancy Agostini and her husband, Walter Kim, who both worked at the show, had two kids. Sheila Rogers, who worked at the show, had a kid. And my wife and I have a son. And we all ended up traveling together on our March dark weeks. And I couldn't find a greater, I mean, we were family. It was a beautiful thing. And Jude, from the moment I got there, took me under her wing and taught me everything she knew. I mean, she tried to. I mean, I was a very bad student. Billy and I, he's, he's, he's my bud. I mean, these are my friends for life, show or no show. I wanted you to tell us a little more about Bill Sheft. He was a guest and gave very generously of his time uh, a couple of weeks ago. And just tell us, you know, He's a joke writer, a novelist. Who is the real Bill Sheft? <laughs> Who is the real Bill Sheft? Yeah. I mean, you know, he's a joke writer, but he's a very sensitive, introspective, evolved man. He's kind of my guru. You know, when I have trouble in life, he's the one to go to to say, wait, you know, think it out. Everything's not about you. He's that kind of guy. I mean, I'm not explaining it well, but he's he's a, he's the chill guy. He's the guy you want in your corner. I mean, I don't know if that shows the real Bill Sheft, but he's not just Mr. Funny. <laughs> yeah. He had a very interesting answer to the question, what did the years working with The Letterman Show teach you about life? So I'm going to ask you, what did those years teach you about life? Now, of course, he went to Harvard, so I'm sure he had a much more interesting answer. And I barely, you know, I smoked during school. Um, so what did the years teach me about life? I think, well, one, take each day at a time and not don't take things so seriously. Don't take yourself so seriously. Everything is fine in retrospect. <laughs> Did you ever see that movie, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel? Oh, yes. 
Did you like it? I can't. I can't really remember it. Now, wait. It, it remind me of the of the movie. Well, if you don't have time to remind me of the movie. No, I do. Real quick synopsis. It's about these older people. They go. To, they end up in India. They're all British. Right. It's got Judy Dench in it. It's got uh, right. Right. Yeah. Well, at the end, there's there's something I really liked, and it kind of reminded me of what you said. The Judy Dench character, I can't remember her name, but she says, in the end, it'll be all right. And if it's not all right, it's not yet the end. Ah, hey, that's beautiful. Yeah. You know, some of the guests that you had on the, the Letterman show throughout the years, very iconic people. But I want to know, who was the kindest person that you encountered who was a guest on Letterman? The kindest? Wow. Well, you know, I don't know why this fell into my head, but on one of the one of the late night shows, we used to do this thing where we when we didn't have a comedy bit that worked out. Dave would call me for back backstage, and we would do "How's the weather out there?" And it was me flipping through a phone book, and we would call a random number and ask, you know, "How's the weather there?" And then close up the phone book. It was nothing, but we'd do it because we had nothing. And one night we weren't getting anyone on the phone, and we called my mother, and they said, you know, Sophie, that's my mother, uh, may she rest in peace. Barbara's wearing, a, you know, a sweater for Christmas. And my mother said, yeah, that's Mike. That's my father. Also, rest in peace. That's Mike's sweater. And my mother said she had to wear her father's sweater because she got so fat. Oh, and, boy. Yeah, and Dave went, oh, all right. We're, you know, we're going to have to stop this now. And he put his hand on mine. You could see him on the on the tape holding my hand. And at the commercial break, the next guest who was going to be on was... Ricky Lake, and Ricky Lake came running out from backstage, she didn't know me, came running back from backstage, grabbed me and hugged me and said, I'm so sorry your mother said that. And I always remembered how lovely that was of her to comfort me, or I didn't need comforting, I was fine, but to find me and comfort me at this affront of my mother's. So that was very sweet. The other person who was very sweet is, you know, usually the, no one pays attention to the crew. George Burns made it a point of shaking every single person's hand, including mine. Also, may he rest in peace. There's some people who remembered everyone's names and some people, you know, who didn't care who was working the cameras or giving Dave blue cards. And they didn't have to care, but some people made it a good point to notice. Martin Short always said hi to everyone. Tom Hanks always said hi to everyone. You know, some people are like that. Well, who made you laugh the most? Well, Marty Short always made me laugh. Man, Tom Hanks always made me laugh. And Nathan Lane. And Tina Fey. I think these are pretty obvious ones. And Bill Murray. None of them ever as funny as Dave. I mean, just the silly thing. I just, I don't know why. My son just turned 11. And I thought this the other day when uh, Dave said, remind me, is your son named after Simon Wiesenthal? And I said, no. The S is for my mother, Sophie, and he said, what's the I-M-O-N for? I mean, it's just a stupid thing, but, you know, <laughs> he was always there with a quip. I wanted to talk just a little bit about Mr. Bill Murray. He was yes. on the show a lot, and he was a, a very important part, you know, of, of the Letterman show in, any, in, both, in both incarnations, the NBC and the CBS. Interesting guy, no... No publicist, no manager. First of all, how did you all track him down, and what was he like when he would come on? You know, they, we tracked him down with like a secret phone booth in South Carolina or something. 
I, my first memory personally of Bill Murray is he came on the morning show and his car was double parked in at 30 Rock and as a PA or, you know, like a minor PA on the morning show, my job was to sit in his car while he was on the show being interviewed. So I thought that was like one of my first gigs, sitting in Bill Murray's car until he came back out to get in his car. He was always fun because he would come and, you know, get the writers drunk and in the early days and and uh, work all night with them to figure out something. Later, it was just, you know, hashing out with a segment producer or just, you know, coming and it's like, it's a, it's a tornado, Bill's coming. He was great fun to work with and always great energy and clearly friends with Dave. I mean, they're friends. That, that, that seems to be evident, I think, when he's on the show. Something that is current news, which we don't cover a lot on the show, but Dave is going to be embarking on this Netflix show. Yes, that announced yesterday. That's cool. Yes, yeah, six episodes of talk and, and uh, going on a uh, little travel. I'm not involved in it, but it's, um, yeah, produced by Netflix. I think it'll be terrific. It sounds terrific for Dave and just perfect for what he's good at. He's good at everything, but he's perfect for what, for him to, you know, talk and, and play on the road sounds excellent. When he had retired, did you feel like he was going to somehow come out and do something? I never thought that he would go to his house and not come out. Like people said, he's going to go to Montana. First of all, I never thought he'd go to Montana because he has a, still has a kid in school. But I never thought he would go to a, a home and just sit there. I, he has to do something. I knew he would do. You know, I didn't think he would get another network television show, but I thought he would definitely still work. So I'm not surprised at all. And he's had, you know, he did the show in India, and he's, you know, been in magazines and the podcast with. Al Franken and be on Norm McDonald's show. You know, he's, he's definitely around. I'm doing free things for my synagogues. That's what I'm doing. Oh, well, tell us about that. Well, my rabbi is having her 25th anniversary, December 4th, and they said, can you help us put on a show? And I said, uh, oh, yeah, sure. I'd be delighted. I said it like that. Yeah, sure. I'd be delighted. That's exciting. Tell us more. So what kind of things are you doing with your time? Well, I've done that. Also, there's a LPAC is a lesbian pack run by, run by Herba Shivad. And last year I did a little comedy show at Town Hall. And this year I did the same show at Caroline's. Just a little something. You know, I find right now if I have if I have just a little, I also worked on Maya and Mari for 12 weeks last summer. But if I have a little something that I at least feel like I'm kind of half in show business still, then I'm fine. And it seems to be plenty now. After doing, you know, a daily, now just if I have something in the future, even if it's just an anniversary show for my rabbi, that seems enough for me to feel like, oh, yeah, right, I'm still kind of doing it. For someone who's out there listening that has had a gig that lasted a long time that is now coming to an end, what advice would you give to somebody who was coming into that big life change? Well, it definitely depends, I think, on how old the person is. I, I was a little young. I mean, I was only 58 when the show ended. I would have liked to have been a few years older. But if you can financially squeak by, it's not as bad as you think not working. I thought, not working, I'll die. Because I worked, you know, 12, 13 hours a day every day for my whole life. What will I do with myself? 
Of course, I do have an 11-year-old, so there's a lot of coming and going from school and a lot of laundry and, and you know, helping around the house that I'm not doing and being yelled at about and things like that. So the day goes by so fast without even realizing what I've done that it two years have, have slipped by and I haven't even figured out what I would want to do with myself. So I don't know. I'm not sure what advice I would give. I would probably give the advice of trying to find something else to do, mm. but that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> what is the best thing about being Barbara Gaines? Oh, boy. What is the best thing about Barbara Gaines? I'm, I'm much better at my character defects. What is the best thing about Barbara Gaines? Well, I, I'm... Uh, boy, that's a tough one. I find that oddly hard. Paul... I'm loyal. I'm definitely loyal. I like to, you know, do what's asked of me. I don't know. Should I ask my son? <laughs> you could. <laughs> Let's see. Hey Simon, I'm 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 in the middle of a interview and the interviewer just asked me what's the best thing about Barbara Gaines? What do you think? Uh, the best thing about Barbara Gaines is how funny she is, and she's also very, very generous and an amazing mommy. Oh. You should totally pick her for whatever you're doing. <laughs> oh. I'll pick it. All right, there you have it. Oh, that's <laughs> lovely. <laughs> how old is Simon? He just, just turned 11. Well, he's the youngest person to have ever shared his voice on this show. That's cool. <laughs> well, that's that's great. Oh, wow. Right. <laughs> so there you go. Well, well, there's people listening from all over. I have no doubt there are people of all walks of life all over the country. The Letterman Show touched so many people and continues to even though it's not on the air. So I leave you with an open-ended kind of question. For anyone who might be joining us, what would you say to those people who are tuned in? Well, I say enjoy your life, do what you love to do, and also it's okay to have a baby late in life, and yeah, just be happy. Well, thank you very much for sharing with us. Thank you. One more question. Yes. What song means the most to you? Oh, what song means the most to me? You, you, these questions are hard for me. I don't know why. What song means the most to me? Well, my wedding song was Funny Valentine. Oh, yeah. And that was my, of course, my when I got married in 1993, and it wasn't legal, but I got married in 1993, I got legally married in 2008. And those kind of things, when people say, what's your favorite movie? I always say, Palm Beach Story. But I don't even remember anymore if that really is my favorite movie. <laughs> but I always like that movie. Yeah, I think the song, it always depends what... Uh, I'm a big Broadway fan, so it always depends what Broadway show I've seen last. If it was Hamilton, it's Hamilton. If it's uh, Dear Evan Hansen, it's Dear Evan Hansen. So it's hard. I'm hard with that. That wasn't English, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's so many great songs. That's the truth. Yes, it is. 
I'm sure if you ask Bill Shept, who is uh, who plays music, I'm sure he had a song immediately if if he if you were up to that. He's such a big chatter. I'm sure you didn't need to ask favorite songs. He had a couple of songs that he thought the Truants could really, really rock with that they could do really well. Right. Uh, nothing after 1967. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. For a while, that's what my son Simon would say. Anytime I mentioned Bill, he would say. He plays nothing after 1967. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I wondered if you were going to mention the Foo Fighters song. Oh. <laughs> Foo Fighters. Don't get me started there. Then you won't have time. Because that was the greatest thing of my thing. I don't know if that's not the right way to... It was the greatest moment of my career was putting that montage together. It was just an amazing experience and a love letter for me to put that ending and an honor and to put that montage together. And I can't believe I got to do it and it will forever be something I know I did. So yeah, it's just fantastic. Is Dave Grohl a good hugger? He is a good hugger. <laughs> when he uh, played it live the first time to, um, played Everlong the first time to, to the montage, I just, I ran up on stage and grabbed him and he hugged me. He didn't know who I was. He was like, who, this woman is coming from the stage and about to attack me. And he hugged me and it was, it was really great. Yeah, I was very pleased with that whole experience. You know, when I look at that montage now, I think, yeah, it's nothing. But then it was everything. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it a lot. All right. Thanks for talking to me, Paul. It was great. Oh, it was an honor. Godspeed. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. That was a good one. Thank you to Barbara Gaines for doing the interview. It was great to talk to her. I had thought about contacting her many times through the years. I wasn't sure how I would do it, but finally I decided to send her this letter. I thought that the timing was right, and we had this interview. Everything that's supposed to happen does happen when it's supposed to. If you have any comments on the show, you can always call in at 912-376-9529. That is a voicemail box where you can leave a message. If we like what you have to say or we think it might be interesting to the listeners, we might play it back on the show. If you haven't already, consider subscribing to the Paul Leslie Hour. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Acast. Or is it a cast? I don't know. You can also give us a review and a rating. It goes a long way in helping other people find this show. I hope I get a chance to talk with Barbara Gaines again. I have a feeling I will. That's all I've got. Be kind to yourself. Don't forget that every day you're living your own story. You are the one in charge. Make it a good story. Until next time. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment. For information, visit thepaulleslie.com. Thank you for being with us. Until next time. <laughs>